Love Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Today's guests include Gene Biss, Bliss, talking about improving the customer retention and service experience, Kathy Nielsen, giving us new insights into how small businesses can participate in the newest wrinkle to internal inter, to internet domains, and Sal Lefieri, highlighting an increasing problem, stalking in the workplace. We want to remind listeners, besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at the number 2, sbdigest.com, our magazine, which you can download on any electronic device, at digital.turn-page.com slash i slash 104416, or by RSS feed. You can also subscribe for a print copy of Small Business Digest by going to our website, the number two, sbdigest.com. We start today's program with Gene Bliss, who has worked for and with such companies as Land's End, Allstate Insurance, and Microsoft. She has helped these and other companies to deliver, in her words, a united and del- deliberate customer retention approach. Jean, welcome to our show. Thanks, and um, nice to be here with you. Good morning on a Sunday. I guess it's 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 the afternoon almost there and morning here in California. Well, um, we're so glad you're here. Our, I think our listeners first want to know a little about you. When I read your background, I was impressed by how completely you have delved into customer relation and retention. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I had the great fortune to start my career in the uh, early 80s at Land's End in um, Wisconsin. And at Land's End, I worked directly for the founder, Gary Comer, as the leader of the Land's End customer experience. We were growing about 30 to 50% a year and needed to stay uh, connected to our core values as we were growing so growth so rapidly, and that was a big part of my role. I then moved on and um, reported uh, to the presidents of Mazda, Allstate, Coldwell Banker, and Microsoft, their leader for the customer experience inside of the corporation. It was a, a brand-new role in each of those companies. And um, in uh, 2006, I published a book I wish I had had on my desk when I was Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill called Chief Customer Officer, um, which is really a guidebook on how to be deliberate in um, leading this customer work and being customer-focused. And then I have another book out called I Love You More Than My Dog, which is about emphatic customer loyalty, especially in the world of social media. Okay. What do you think are the three, four, or five key components of good customer relations and retention? Well, let me ask you. 
clarifying question. Are you talking about overall across the whole organization or specifically with the customer service department? Well, our audience is primarily small business uh, leaders. So I, ah. I, the, uh, the question really is, uh, small businesses ha have a much more intimate contact usually w with their customers than large corporations. But still, um, the reason we, uh, we invited you on the program today is uh, customer uh, relations and retention is such a critical part of small business. Sure that, is. Um, I, um, I'd first like to kind of uh, get some key um, uh, metrics or ideas from, uh, and then go into a little deeper uh, detail. Perfect. That's great. So there's a couple things that are really important, especially as you're growing a business and I have a very you know united group of employees really working together, and that is to take the time to absolutely know what you want to be to your customers. Otherwise, your business will be run um, in terms of executing technical skills. So this means, for example, what's your higher purpose? Are you helping them to improve their business operations? Are your, is your goal to deliver a better um, product? Are you there to support mothers? You know, if you, if you can unite people and absolutely define what your higher purpose is, then all of your operations, all of your different people will um, really execute and be united from that point of view versus I come in, I do these three actions, and I leave. What you want to do is really engage your employees in doing something greater than the task that they have at hand. Um, does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, small businesses, by their very nature, are closer to their customers <coughs> than big corporations. What do you see are the advantages and disadvantages they have and face? I think the big, the big advantage they face that, that I, I am constantly trying to figure out how to help the larger corporations with is being close to your customer and really having the opportunity to, to speak to them, to listen to them, to understand how what you do impacts them. And then most importantly, though, translating that very clearly for your people. On the other hand, what I know with small business and the small business groups that I work with on a regular basis is there's always, uh, feels like there's a lack of time to do things. So what we find is turning it into a, a, a system of um, really just understanding and trending who your customers are, even giving your frontline people some tools to listen and ask for customer issues and trend them, even on a piece of paper, what we find is is that it just creates an order to the what feels like a daily madness almost when you're running a small business. Well, um, how how do you you go and uh, attempt to identify your uh, your customer needs, your customer, and what they really expect from you? Well, go, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. There's a couple ways to do it. One is to be reactive, which is listening to your customers on a regular basis. What we what we do when we interact with customers is we do a lot more talking than we do listening. Active listening is such an important skill set. And um, what we know, for example, when I was at Land's End, we had all the phone operators who were listening to taking customer calls. But what we did with them was also created a very strong uh, development of their ear for listening to the customers. So, Let's say you run a, dry, a small dry cleaner and your customer comes in and you say, how did it go? And she says, well, it was fine, but this, 
I didn't really like the way it was packaged and my shirts were wrinkled. Rather than just kind of, you know, hunching your shoulders or just saying, okay, thanks so much, give those people, give your folks a, a way to start to trend those things and then and then identify those issues um, that, are the, that are the biggest ones. What we know, especially in small business, is your employees want to be part of the solution. So maybe on a Saturday morning, just bring them together and say, hey, let's talk about all the top things we heard. Um, the other thing that we know is proactively, you know, you're delivering an experience to your customer whether you've planned it or not. And what we know are there, there's usually five to ten critical what we call moments of truth in the journey that a customer has with you. So let's say it's um, when they walk in the door or when they pick up a product or when they place an order. Have you really deliberately thought about what the emotion they have that you want to earn at the end of that and what you will do on purpose to deliver that great emotion so that your customers will say, gosh, who else would do it that way? And just sitting down and having that hard thinking actually will change your business from really delivering what everybody else does, which is kind of vanilla service, to creating a differentiated experience that really started with your, the customer in their life rather than what you needed to get done to execute a transaction. That's really interesting. Um, one uh, major uh, problem small businesses run into is how to communicate with their uh, employees, how to get them to understand what are the goals of the small business and how, uh, how everybody should work together. Do you have any suggestions on this area? Sure. Well, and that connects back to the very first thing I mentioned, which is, you know, what is, why are we in business? And one of the things that we know is that when, you know, a lot of employees, they, you don't know what their intention was, what was really motivating them to come to work. So you need to be a galvanizing force to elevate people and to, and to unite them. So what, what I'm a big fan of is the daily huddle. The daily huddle is really important because what it does is it just for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning says, what are, why are we here? Or what are we here to accomplish? What were the biggest issues we had to challenge? Um, do we have any important customers coming in? And it galvanizes everybody to really remember why you're in business. Another thing that's, um, that I like to do is on a monthly basis sit down and just have the, have the employees tell you what's getting in their way of doing good work. And then finally, another great thing that I love, and it takes a little bit of bravery, is something I call kill a stupid rule. And, you know, this is not that we deliberately created rules that are dumb, but most of our companies have grown based on creating policies or processes, and sometimes we grow out of them, and sometimes they've, they, they meant well when we started them, but they just don't make sense anymore. Be brave enough to say to your employees, hey, if we've got something that's dumb and just is making your life miserable and your customers, tell me and let's get rid of it. Let's almost make a celebration out of being a whack-a-mole and getting rid of it and then celebrate the person who brought up the stupid rule. It creates so much energy and excitement when you can get rid of those things without any fear. Well, that takes uh, courage on the part of the small business leader um, who often uh, in, in our uh research uh, is really quite conservative. But let me ask you, uh, what about rewarding uh, your customer service people or in general for uh, good work? How do you feel about that? 
I'm a fan of of rewarding them. I am not a fan of tracking metrics such as talk time and rewarding them about around those operational metrics because what that does is it um it it drives the employee to think about the time more than about the customer in the conversation. So I'm a fan of rewarding good behavior, uh rewarding empathy, rewarding um people working with each other. For example, one of my favorite stories is uh, Kip Tyndall. Again, the container store was not always a big company. It started out as a very small company. And from the very beginning of the container store's roots, when they started, one of the biggest awards Kip Tyndall gave to the employees was uh, what he calls the Gumby Award, which is the award for being flexible and helping out your fellow employee. And so that lack that lack of collaboration gets in the way of great and rewarding it really changes. Uh, uh, Jean, you used the phrase chief customer officer, which I love, by the way. Do you think a, sm <laughs> uh, uh, think a small business should have such a person on the staff? Well, I think probably it's, it might be a little bit of overkill, maybe. To, it depends on the size of the business to have someone called that. In, in many of the businesses that I've worked with that are smaller businesses, the CEO or the president or the if there's a chief operating officer, they should assume that role. And and what that really means is is somebody's got to sit in the middle of everything and have a view of the end-to-end -end customer experience and be deliberate in guiding people, um, de defining the priorities of the business, building the metrics, creating um, a, you know a prioritization of what you're going to work on based on what's important to all customers not just um, at a technical or technical level. Uh, do you have any tips for building a, a unified effort? Uh, you've given us a lot so far, and I hate to keep asking you, but it's so good. Can you give us some? <laughs> uh, one of the things I very much love to do, and, and you can do it as a small business, and it actually would be a really great exercise with your employees. This is one of the things that really gets employees excited, and that's to map your customer journey. It's it's more simple than it sounds. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who want to sell you books and other things to do it, but as a small business, all you need to do is, is brainstorm a couple things. First of all, what are the stages of the journey? So if you think about your customer's experience with you, break that into chunks of experiences that they go through, not your operating strategy or your organization chart. Then with your employees, just put a big poster, paper, poster note for each of those stages and give your employees each a, a pad of post-it notes to brainstorm each of the moments of truth or touch points that, in, that are included within each of those stages. And then have conversations about, wow, are we really being deliberate at each of these, these touch points under these stages or are we just letting some of them go because we didn't think about it that way before? It will really start to galvanize your organization and drives innovation because it creates a deliberateness around experience that we, we frequently don't think about when we're running our business. Well, um, how, uh, how, how best can you uh, measure such efforts? Well, I'm a big fan of having a, a monthly or quarterly what I call customer loss review. I know that sounds a little negative, but I always want to talk about not only losses, but doing something I call customer math. 
So in real numbers, and, and again, you know, it, it being a small business, you can probably count the number of customers you have or get into your database if you, you're managing that way. Talk about, okay, here's how many new customers we brought in, here's the number of them, and here's the long-term volume we think they're going to bring. And then subtract that, the number of customers we lost. And the important thing you need to do is do that math to really give yourself a reality check every month or quarter to say, wow, we were great at bringing in new, but look how many we lost. Then really dig into and then say, okay, what's that equation? And that's your growth or loss of the asset that's most important to growing your business, which is that customer base. And then with your employees say, okay, let's really dissect and diagnose what were the reasons that drove customers away? And then by getting into those reasons, you can start to actually attach metrics and, and processes to those reasons driving customers away. So you create kind of a system around managing and growing what I call the customer asset. Uh, Jean, have you ever run into a situation where the, so a company, a larger, or uh, small uh, runs into a situation where they get bad publicity or bad customer uh, feedback. Uh, oh, sure. It, it happens. You know what's interesting is, as businesses, we're, we're run by humans, and humans make mistakes. And especially in a world of social media, we none of us are immune to the customer with the biggest megaphone in they ha- that they have in their hand called the Internet and going out and talking about things. And as a result of that, the the media outlets also pick up on those things and tend to you know, make those things bigger than they are, or it's just a bad mistake a company made, and as you just said, you get bad PR. Um, There's really four things that have to happen when you make a mistake in the marketplace. I actually call it the the peace process. You have to immediately respond to the situation. Even if you don't have an answer right away, uh, just acknowledge that you know you made a mistake. The second thing is connect all of the people in your company to brainstorm and to be a part of the solution. Um, the third thing is to have humility and remorse when you talk about it. It can't be, oh, that was a lousy partner or, oh, those customers just were, didn't know what they were talking about. Really s- admit that you made a mistake and be remorseful because people are looking at who you are as a company and what your values are, especially in that time, and so are your employees. And then finally, solve the problem. And I think it's important, and, and survey and research shows this, that even if the problem only affected a third of your customers, let's say, tell every customer you know that we had this problem and we solved it and we want you to know that if you've talked to somebody, um, we've got this under control now. Well, um, uh, I was taught a metric that um, uh, for every good um, good you, uh, response you get, uh, it's equal to seven, but uh, seven times that, but for every bad, it's um, equal to um, a 13. The, uh, that's the kind of metric that I know in the old days, and I know it's changed. Well, uh, how do you weigh good and bad re- uh, feedback? Well, I, you know, I think good feedback is a validation that you're doing a good job, but bad feedback you should should look at as a gift. And... Um, I, I really think that, especially in a world of social media, the, the volume of, you know, these things tend to have a life of their own. Um, 
And I, I'm a fan of again, as I mentioned earlier, trending complaints. And also, if you're if you've got the kind of business where your customers are on social media, you should really have your ear pressed to that and be brave enough just like we talked about earlier, to respond on social media to your customers if they've got any challenges? Um, I guess the the other question uh, that's always uh, form, foremost, what's the best form of customer uh, uh, retention? I mean, we're, we're in the world today of social media. We're in the world of uh, online. We're, uh, is telephone... Um, Bill, well, let me um, kind of rephrase it. How would you rank the, uh, the call-in, the social media, the other forms of uh, uh, customer uh, relations, and not not the least of which is the personal touch? How, mm-hmm. how do you rank them, and how do, uh, how should a small business uh, leader focus on them? Well, I, you know, I, there's so many different options in terms of channels for communicating for your customer. The thing that's, there's two things that are most important regardless of, and then I'll talk a little bit about ranking in a minute, but there's two things that are the most critical um, uh, regardless of, of how you're communicating or, or creating an emotional bond with your customer. And those two things are, first of all, relevance. There's nothing that bothers a customer more than if they've been your customer for a while and they're not acknowledged and you don't know who they are. And and the second thing is connecting the dots between all of the different ways that they interact with you. So if if they ordered you from something on your website and then called into your call center and or called in and talked to one of your phone reps or your call customer service people and your customer service person didn't know they had placed an order or that they were a long-term customer and didn't thank them, those are things that, no matter if it's in person or on the phone or on the Internet, that actually gets in the way of a customer feeling special for doing business with you. Um, so, so I say that because I think that's really, really critical, and people don't spend enough time being deliberate about how to enable that happening. Um, given that, I think that if, if it's a genuine and honest and, and personal inter, interaction, um, you know, at Land's End, for example, we didn't, couldn't talk to our customers in person. So, so we had to spend a lot of time hiring phone people who were on the phones who were very humble and genuine and talked about, hey, how are you doing? How's your life? You know, and it was very personal. And so I think that regardless of the channel, that personal connection is important. Um, so I, I think that being the, the personal voice, the human voice, people crave that a little bit more, it seems, with all of the technology and technological solutions. But um, I think that that's important either by phone or in person, especially as a small business. One of the most powerful things that, that, that we do um, in large and small businesses is, for example, if customer hasn't been with you and they've laughed for Call them up and personally ask them what went wrong. It's that human touch and that personal touch that I think really sends people over the moon to say, wow, who else would do that? And even in your communication, let's say you're an Internet-based business, personalize what the receipt of the shipment looks like. Follow up with the personal follow-up so that regardless of if you're, you're connecting with them in a very human way or if you're connecting with them in something that's more transactionally driven as a website delivery, 
they still feel that there's a human behind that transaction, understands their life, and has personalized that experience. Okay, Jean, you've given us so much information. How, um, one final question. How can our listeners contact you? I um, am on my website. It's called customerbliss.com. Very simple, the word customer and then the word bliss, which is my last name. And all of my contact information is on there. And there's also all kinds of uh, free tools and tips and things that they can download, and I would be very happy to connect with any of them. Well, thank you for a very informative uh, uh, interview today. Uh, our next, our next, next guest is Kathy Nielsen, and we'll be with her in just one minute. And again, thank you, Jean. You're so welcome. Thank you. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit cost. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Our next guest is Kathy Nielsen, Head of Business Development for New GTLDS at Sado.com. Now, if listeners are unfamiliar with what GTLDSs are, don't feel so bad. Neither did I really know until reading the fascinating explanation Kathy wrote that came across my desk. Before we talk about your background, Kathy, can you explain GTLDS? to our audience. Sure. Hello. Um, so GTLDs are basically new domain extensions. Most people are aware of .com, .net, .info, and there are about 250 other extensions out there in the world. And we're going to extension a new release of the GTLDs, or generic top-level domains. And they can really be anything, any ending at all, um, like that text, that hotel, that ticket. Oh, okay. Now, Kathy, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, well, I've been working in the domain industry for about five years now. And before that, I worked for several small business, um, Internet businesses, where we would provide content and um, mostly advertising-driven, but content-based Internet sites. Uh, Kathy, one question. Are you on a speaker? No, I'm not. Uh, because you're, yeah, okay, because you're coming in a, 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 a little tinny. But okay, we'll, we'll work around it. Kathy, uh, will, uh, will GTL the... Uh, by the DS is be important for smaller enterprises. Kathy? Well, well we seem to have lost her. She was. Uh, um, well, let's let's talk about. I'll go. I'll go to the. Uh, to the back of the, the program and talk about well, something we hope to do every issue, every hour, is to talk ab about a topic that uh, might be of help to, to listeners. 
Um, today's uh, today's okay. We we got Kathy back. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, the wonders of modern technology. We're so glad to have you back. Thank uh, you. Uh, if if I'm a small business, why should I even think about GTLD? By the way, am I pronouncing it GTLDSs, or do you have some uh, other uh, way of saying it? Um, you can say GTLDs. So okay. Just plural, yeah. Why should small businesses be interested in that? Well, there are a couple reasons. Um, the biggest reason, I think, for small businesses to look at something like this is that when they started their business, they probably looked for a .com, and it probably wasn't the, their first choice. Probably wasn't available. With the new GTLDs coming, they'll be able to have a much wider choice of domain names and at more affordable prices. Well, that's good to hear. Um, if, if but if I'm a small business. Um, uh, how do I go about identifying a, a GTLDS? Okay. Um, there are lists on the Internet. Um, if you go to ICANN, I-C-A-N-N, dot org, O-R-G, they have lists of all of the TLDs that were applied for. Now, there were over 1,900 applications for new GTLDs, and they're all listed on the ICANN website. And so that's the first step, to see what's going to be coming out. And, you know, you'll probably say, okay, I'm a, I'm a pet store. I'm interested in .pets. So once you identify the extension that you're interested in, you can keep an eye out for when it will launch. You know, there's always a, a launch phase, and there's a public availability phase. So this is when the public is able to go and actually register these new domains. That that sounds interesting. Have any of these uh, been launched yet, or are they still uh, uh, in in development? Um, they're they're still going through the process, but we will start seeing the very first launches starting this summer, 2013, um, and there will be a, approximately 20 new ones launched every single week starting this summer. Now, it's not going to be, um, you know, all hitting the Internet. We're not going to see all of these on websites fully developed yet. This is just when you can start purchasing the new domains. Uh -huh. once, once that happens, of course, we'll see development and um, a lot of the big brands like Nike and Citibank, they've, they've applied for them as well. So they're going to start using their new TLDs. So I would say by the end of this year, we'll really see it in the landscape of the Internet. It will look different. But what's the advantage um, uh, to, to, uh, to using this? Is it the fact that it's an easier search or a more effective search? What are the advantages to a small business? I think um, there are two things that I, that I really like about this for small business. Um, one I mentioned already, affordable quality. So you can get a quality domain name at an affordable price. Um, but the second one has to do with search. And we all know that search engines reward quality, quality content. And if you have, say you're a small ski shop and you have your business built on a website called 
Joe's Got Ski, the content on that website will be very probably related to skiing or ski equipment or products. So everybody everybody who's using this dot .ski extension will very likely have quality content about skiing. Now that translates into search, and the search engines will have an easier time finding content about ski-related ski topics. Well, um how does your how does your website Cedo uh, come into this, and uh, uh, how do you help small business in this area? Okay, Cedo has been around for twelve years, and we are a, a marketplace. So we help people that own domain names. They currently own domain names, and they might not be using it, and we help them sell. So we connect buyers and sellers. Now, that's what we've been doing for um, you know the past 12 years. As we move into the new TLD area, there will just be more, uh, more domains available for sale. So, you know, somebody may buy a, a .ski name, and a couple of years from now, they're not using it for some reason. They may be able to resell it on our website. Um, uh, uh, your role in this is uh, what will your role be and, and uh, how will that affect what you're doing? Um, so my role is really understanding this new wave of Internet addresses that will be coming to the Internet and how it will affect CEDO um, mm-hmm. because it does very much fit in with what we do already of helping customers buy and sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure we're ready for it because this is a lot of new real estate coming onto the market and we need to be prepared even in the way that um, a buyer would come to our website and look for a domain. Uh, we might just show them, if they're coming in the U.S., we might just show them .com, .net, some of the higher ranking websites first. Um, but with the new TLDs, we might say, okay, we know you're a pet shop and we know you're in Boston. So the way we spin the search, we might say, okay, here, why don't you look at um, an extension that ends in .net or an extension that ends in .boston. So I'm just, my job will be to make sure that CEDO is prepared for those types of changes. Okay, Kathy. Uh, I'm so glad you came on the show today because I, I know I, I was uh, extremely uh, uh interested in, in in your uh, offering by the way uh, uh if you have more uh on on your website i thought the uh, uh information you offered was terrific and i was wondering uh, uh and by the way the article that you, you uh, will appear on um, on our site uh it'll be g2sbdigest.com/gtlds uh, uh uh, hyphen domains. Um, we really appreciate it. But if they want, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, or who should they call, uh, email, or talk to at CEDO if they have additional questions? Well, there are two places you can go. If you want general information, you can go to CEDO.com forward slash GTLDS. And there we have a sign-up, and you can get just a general informational newsletter that keeps you updated on what's going on and when these will be released. 
And then the second thing is you can feel free to email me directly. It's Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, at CEDO, S-E-D-O, dot com. Thank you very much, Kathy, and have a, a nice day. All right. Thank you. You too. We'll be back with our next guest in, in, right after this. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business. And it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M.com. Again, D-E-E-M.com for all your small business needs. Our next guest is a particular favorite of mine. When he first wrote to me about workplace stalking, I was immediately struck by how important a subject it was. The small business um, it was. Small Business Digest Parent Information Strategies uh, a company that regularly surveys readers on a variety of top topics affecting enterprises, uh, put a question about workplace stalking into our, our, our survey. And to my surprise, um, at least 11% uh, of all respondents said they had at least one incident of workplace stalking. That really surprised me. Hence, we are especially pleased to have Sal Lifieri on our program today. Sal is president of Protective Countermeasures, Inc. He's a former senior officer of the New York City Police Department and has written and talked about extensively about this program. Sal, welcome to today's program. Oh, happy to be with you, Don. Sal, my first question are, what are the warning signs a manager should look for in, uh, to potential workplace stalking? Well, I think one of the things you have to uh, managers need to be aware of is one that the problem does you know, does exist and can exist, and that that's kind of critical. You know, a lot of times companies uh, are a little reluctant to be aware of these kind of problems, and it, and it's and it, it's it's kind of a complicated issue, and it can go for you know for any one of a number of reasons. The you know one of the one of the first things is that. You know, this is a good indicator to workplace violence and or a good, you know, prelude to workplace violence. Uh, and that's something that companies are just absolutely petrified about today, right? And rightfully so. It, it's a problem. So when we get into, you know, what are the problems that you have in stalking and how does it affect the workplace, you know, one of the things that you need to be aware of is, especially with an employee, who's not as productive as they should be or as they have been over a period of time. You know, a, a, major, a major statistic, right, is that 85% of all women, and women are the predominant stalking victims, 85% of women uh, are stalked, you know, or, or victims of stalking. And because it goes, a stalking case isn't something that happens immediately it goes on for a prolonged period of time. The Department of Justice has said that the typical stalking case runs anywhere from a year to a year and a half. If there was intimacy in the relationship, so if the stalker and the victim were known to each other and had a relationship and there was intimacy involved, then the case can go on for five years. As a result, it becomes so debilitating to the victim that they start to get affected at work. 
So not only does their home, work, home life get affected, but even at work. So productivity levels start to drop. You see a withdrawal of someone who used to be friendly and funny or was, was a pleasure to be around is a lot more quiet and withdrawn. Uh, things along those lines are probably good indicators that something is not right. Can you give some examples of what happens? Well, what winds up happening in stalking cases and that ultimately, like I said, go to, you know, work, ultimately culminate in workplace violence. And, and again, I, I got to be clear, not every stalking case becomes workplace violence, but it, it's, it's a good prelude to it. Um, what will happen is victims wind up getting, for any one of a number of reasons, you can have a stalking victim that has had a relationship and is trying to terminate that relationship, and then you have the, the situation where, you know, I love you, I'm not going to let you go, you know, you're, you're, you're going to love me forever, and that carries on. We have other situations where a psychological disorder becomes problematic here and be, becomes the driving influencer where a person believes, and, we, and I see this a lot in, with celebrity cases, where somebody who has a, a public profile winds up becoming a victim of stalking. And the reason behind that is the perpetrator of it, or a stalker, believes in their mind that they're having a relationship with this person. And they want to, you know, continue the relationship, and and that those become very problematic. Those kind of cases. Uh, so there there are different types of stalking that occur, and in the workplace it becomes more problematic because, you know, one of the problems that happens here, it, it's a pretty interesting dynamic. If a victim goes to the employer and says that they're being stalked. And we see this also in a carryover to domestic violence where the victims will go and get orders of protection. But in all of those cases, when they bring it to the attention of the HR department or to the owner of the, of the business, there has been traditionally a great reluctance on the business owner's part because they're afraid that we're going to wind up with a workplace violence issue and this person's going to come and do something, you know, bad, bring a gun or come to the, come to the place, do something. And there'll be some activity that, that's going to be detrimental to the company. So what happens is they, they wind up going in to tell the company that, hey, look, I've got a problem at home. Here's what's happening. I have an order protection. I'm being stalked. And the companies aren't supportive. All of a sudden, they want to get rid of the employee for maybe un being unproductive or you know not being as you know uh, as good in the job as they should be, and the whole purpose behind that is to get rid of the employee so that this way they don't we don't we don't have the problem here anymore because once they recognize the problem, now they got to do something about it and it's a liability, and it's really unfair because the the preponderance of victims in stalking cases, and especially when it's going on for periods of time, uh, wind up in very ugly situations with their employers. About a year ago, the Department of Justice, every I should say every year, the Department of Justice puts out a report on stalking. And about a year ago, in the report that had come out, 
there was a statistic that was just incredible, and that was that 136,000 women lost their jobs as a result of stalking. It's 136,000 women in the, within the United States alone, and that's just accounting for stalking cases. We're not talking about the statistical nightmares that are played between domestic violence and, and all of the other issues where or assaults where you lose a lot of the cases. But 136,000 women lost their jobs as a result of stalking because it, it just became uh, too burdensome, too burdensome on them. Um, and they, they just could not become, you know, effective anymore at work. But do, but do you, um, do you see instances where the, the, the manager or the owner or the company, uh, lets these women go? Or is it that they uh, simply work themselves out of the job? Is it? Um... Well, one of the big problems in, in stalking cases and dealing with stalking victims is that they really need to understand that you know they don't need to live in silence and need to live in fear. Many many women, and again, I I, I term it as women, but it, it it goes both ways. Men and women are, are victims of stalking, but the majority of women who are being stalked. Um, yeah, they they wind up getting themselves so worked up and, and so emotionally drained over a prolonged period of time that what happens is they just, they wind up becoming so debilitated by it, their performance suffers. And by not telling human resources and not going to your company and telling them, what all they're saying is just an unproductive, unresponsive, uh, probably, you know, not a not a good person to be around. There's attitude changes, and they take that and they read that for the wrong for the wrong reasons. So we do see cases of women, and again, by just by the Department of Justice's uh, reports, we see 136,000 women a year losing their job because of stalking. But um, does the, the is there any legal liability? I'm looking at it from the small business owners. Perspective: Is there any legal liability to the owner for either a discharging the person or b uh, trying to take protective measures? Well, there's a legal liability if you terminate somebody wrongful, right? wrongful, wrongful termination. If you have an employee who's going through this situation and you find reasons to get rid of them, then you really have a case for wrongful termination. Conversely, you also have a situation where if you're aware of a problem, if you're aware that a family had a domestic violence issue and the husband, let's say, was beating the wife and the wife gets an order of protection or a restraining order, depending on what part of the country you're in, we have different terminology for it, but it's all the same. If you have that situation and the employee comes in and says, my spouse has been beating me and has threatened to kill me and I have a restraining order against them and the business has now been made aware of it, the business has an obligation at that point to try and provide some level of security for not only that employee but also for the other employees that are there. You know, how do we, what do we go about it do and how do we do it? And that's one of the things that we get retained to do is to come in and advise companies and to advise individuals who are being stalked 
as to what they can do to help themselves and help the situation. Um, you mentioned earlier about Facebook, and I know you just put together a, um, a video on, on Facebook protecting, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit about that and weave it into what we're discussing here? Facebook is probably, you know, as, as I had said on the video that we just shot, that uh, we're going to make available actually to the public for, uh, for free. Uh, because we think the message is really that important. But, you know, Facebook, the problems with Facebook that we see, it, it's a great tool and it's great to keep in touch with family and friends and people you may have gone to high school with, to grammar school with, college with. But what happened, what we're seeing in with Facebook and all the social media across the board is that it's being used for other purposes, for reputation, you know, assassinations. People are you're utilizing this thing to take, you know, if you're jealous of someone, they don't, you can put up a Facebook page of that person's name and sign them up for all kinds of, you know, or different organizations that no one in their right mind would really want to be involved with. And then we're also seeing pictures that are being posted. Now, we've all had a bad day. You know, we've, we've done stupid things in our life somewhere along the line, right? And sometimes we've had pictures taken that we're not necessarily overly proud of. But on Facebook, what happens is those pictures can get put up on someone else's Facebook page, tagged with your name. And depending on how well they, they share their information, and over there was a statistic that had come out that over 50 or 60% of the people on Facebook have inappropriate security settings. So virtually half the people that are out there have their Facebook page wide open. So I take a photo of you that shows you in a very inappropriate position and or in an appropriate manner, and I take that picture and I put your name on it and I put it on my Facebook page. Well, what's happening, how this is relating back to business, what a lot of executives and sometimes key executives, we're seeing that they have clauses in their contracts, morality clauses, that they're precluded from certain behaviors. And now all of a sudden you have this picture that's up there that you have no control over and probably don't even know it's out there. And you wind up getting dinged on some morality clause. And we have, we've seen executives that are losing their jobs. It just happened just this past week uh, with a major motion picture studio. Well, I'll tell you, the best one, the best example, and I use this in my lectures because I, I do a lot of lecturing to high school kids and to the parents and, you know, for both because they both need to understand. And the example that I use in the lecture is that if you look at Michael Phelps, there was the case where Michael Phelps was at a party and they had a picture of him smoking off of a bong. And he didn't sit there and, you know, pose for it. He didn't, you know, it, he had no clue the picture was taken. And it was put up and his name was tagged to it. And it's been reported in the media that that particular picture cost him $60 million in endorsements. I mean, that's, that's the kind of impact that something like that can have. And it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty powerful. Is it, um, getting back to our original, which is the workplace, uh, have you seen instances where someone uh, has been stalked off of their Facebook or uh, LinkedIn page, and then uh, which the, uh, in LinkedIn indicated where they worked? 
Yeah, we've we've seen where between Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, the amount of information that people are putting that people are putting out online is just absolutely incredible. We did a thing where a with a local news reporter here in New York where we took all of that person's information that they had been posting online and showed how a stalker could actually use that information. You know, saying in the morning, you know, putting out a tweet that says, I can't believe I'm 20 minutes late this morning. Well, it doesn't take a rocket science to realize that that means that you normally leave it, you know, 20 minutes before the time you posted it and you start to develop the patterns and pick up the practices that they have. And we've seen that type of information that's gone out there come back in corporations. One of the things that we get asked to do is pre-employment screening. And one of the things that employers are asking us now is to go out and take a look at the social media that a person is putting down. You know, the days of writing a resume and that being your calling card, that being the thing that you walk into a company and they would verify that information is pretty much sort of going by, you know, you know by way of, you know, just getting rid of it where it's, it's no longer the predominant source anymore. Now what we want to do, and one of the things we do when we're doing that type of an investigation is we're looking for what I call patterns and practices. You may have one particular bad day or you may have two particular bad days, but if your writings and postings and things that you're putting up are clearly going to have an impact on your prospective employer, they're looking at that information. And it goes even further back, not only to just the small business, but it also goes to colleges. Colleges and universities are looking at what you're posting. So from the small business perspective, there's an incredible amount of sort of open source intelligence information that they can utilize to get themselves, you know, to get a better handle on the employee or the prospective employee. And, you know, if you think about it, if you have two candidates that are of equal quality and you start looking at their, their public, you know, their public statements, their patterns and practices, if you will, over a period of time, you know, you're going to find that you're going to find that one candidate is going to wind up coming out ahead of time. Well, um, in the time we have remaining, what can a person, what first can a person do if they're being stalked or fear workplace? And then what could the manager do? From, a, from the personal side of it, they're going to recognize, obviously, that they're being stalked because they're getting attention from someone that's making them um, a little bit uncomfortable. They're going, they're going to feel a little strange. They're going, to feel, they're, going to, they're going to feel that things aren't exactly right. So what they need to do is, one, you know, be aware of it. Number two, from the moment that that starts, you have to make a declarative no statement. You have to tell the person that you're, that, who's sending you to the, these unwanted communications to stop. And you, you let them know that's it. It is never going to happen. I don't want to continue this. Please stop. And you let that stop. Then you move on to in the workplace. The communication between the employer and the employees is critical. You have to have a good working relationship with your employees, and you really want to have the capability to 
give them the opportunity to come in and tell you what's what's kind of going on in their world. You know, it's not just how much money they can make for you, but you have to have from the HR perspective. You know, we today we HR in small business is basically trying to defend itself against anything that can go wrong in the employee rights and the and the and the company rights and worrying about the legalities of it. I would love to see if HR can actually get put back to the point of really caring for an employee, understanding and knowing what's going on in their world, what's going on in their in their backgrounds. And by doing that, you're going to have a much broader or much greater communication capability with them. They're going to feel a little bit more comfortable to come and explain to you what's going on. And by virtue of that happening, that simple fact alone, what winds up happening is you now can get ahead of the problem. You know, don't tell – it's like I tell when I do training in security to security teams. I tell them, you know, you want to be able at the end of the day to have nothing to report, and that's a great day, right? Same situation here. Don't tell me and from an HR perspective that I have to be able to deal with the gunman in the lobby. If we can get in front of that ahead of time, if you can prevent that workplace violence issue from coming, or if you can become aware of that workplace violence issue, then you can take steps to try and mitigate it ahead of time. And that, that is the most critical step that anyone can take. So how, uh, you've given us a lot of information. But if someone wanted to contact you, how do they do it? They can go to our website at protectivecountermeasures.com. Um, and they can also reach us through Small Business Digest. I'm sure you'd be more than happy to uh, contact me if somebody wanted to reach out to you. Well, we hope to get an article from you. Uh, we're all happy to out of time. And, but I'd like, each hour we intend to close with a, a timely hint from our panel of experts. Today's comes from Joanne Lang, Chairperson of Information Strategies. March Madness is upon us. For the next three weeks, the nation and your employees will be consumed with the NCAA tourna basketball tournament. Many employees will enter pools, listen to games, talk about this tournament, often to the vexation of managers. Instead of complaining, make it a company experience and join the discussion. It won't cut down your authority, but it will build employee morale. Think about even offering a prize for the employee with the best bracket choices. It will pay off in the long run. I see our hour is up. Remember, this program will be archived and available on blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If, you'd like to, if you liked what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or hours, email me at dmazella at is-incorp.com. That's dmazella, M-A-Z-Z-E-L-L-A, at is-incorp.com. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at number 2, sbdigest.com. Which you can download on any electronic device from our front index page. You can also subscribe for a print copy by going to our website. Until next time, this is Don Mazzella, and this is Small Business Radio. Good day.